ahead and get started this morning, uh, just jumping right into, oh, wait a minute, sorry, uh, uh, I was looking at this screen going, what, why is it, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, this screen is sleepy, don't look here, look over here, okay, so, uh, and as always, when it says reader, that's me, if it says congregation, and I don't think I have it broken into any men's and women's readings, so it's even simpler this week, so if it says congregation, Read along with me, okay? Here we go. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. Jerusalem, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for the house of Israel. Jerusalem, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones for the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So this morning, you may have noticed, we're looking at a psalm that has to do with... uh, Somewhere. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's a place. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so we're talking about this continuous journey, right? The the Psalms of Ascent are all uh, campfire songs. By the way, if you have a hostility to campfire songs, just remember the Lord wrote the first ones. All right? Uh, the, the songs that would be sung on a journey. While you're living in a tent, you leave home behind, you leave your mailing address, you know, so that the Romans can't find you, uh, and off you go. Three times a year you made this pilgrimage. If you were a good and faithful and devout Jew, you made the travel, and, and at the end of a day's journey, And after the meal had been eaten, at least this is how I imagine it, maybe they sang first thing in the morning, maybe they sang at noon, but I don't know why, but for some reason I always imagine this this quiet contemplative worship happening as the day is done. Next day's journey is ahead of them. To the Jewish mind, that's the beginning of the next day. When the sun sets, the new day is upon them. So before they rest for the night, They start the day with this time of prayerful worship. God inspired these prayers for them to sing together, to pray, and to throw these prayers up to Him. He is leading His people into prayer. Aren't we wise if we listen to? We don't know the tunes, so we can't sing it. And sometimes we add these to song. We're singing some of the songs of ascent, and we'll be through April anyway. By then, uh, surround us, Lord, and, uh, and unto the hills should be pretty deeply ingrained into us. My hope is that the psalms of ascent grow into us. And that God leads us into a journey lifestyle. Last year, we, we looked at, at the Gospel of Luke, and so much of that is about discipleship being this. A traveling life. 
disrupted and leaving home behind to step into, I want to draw near to God. And so Jesus journeys to Jerusalem in the Psalms of Ascent. We join with Him. The Psalms begin with this uh, distress over our fallenness. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord and He answered me. And we're taught to pray that. Even when we're not feeling distress, we are to remind ourselves that as fallen creatures, without the Lord our God, we are absolutely in distress. Wealth and health and well-being doesn't change fallenness. And so we are repeatedly reminded, I need God and His ways. And He taught us to pray that. Last week, we looked at the reality of the hope that God will help me. I look around to the hills that are all around me as I journey through the wastes on my way to Jerusalem. And there are so many threats. Bandits could be up in that hill. Where do I find help? And in this world filled with trouble and curse and despair and brokenness and sin and shame and embarrassment, where do I go to find help? The Lord my God will help me. These prayers are pretty smart. Almost as if it's training us to believe good and decent and right things. This week, we pray literally about the behavior in which they are engaged. That's what this song is about. It starts with, I was really excited when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's like, oh, is it that time of year again? Oh, good! I can't wait to get to Jerusalem. But the reality is, this psalm needs a little bit of translation. Because I have never, ever, ever done that. And the preacher who was here before me did that. You know, it, it, when he graduated with his D-man, you remember this? He showed you the slides. I was here when he showed them. You know, he was excited about his trip to Jerusalem. You know how many times he made that trip? Once. I don't know, you may get to do it again. I don't know, maybe some point in my life I'll get to do it, but I won't do it the way they're doing it. This psalm needs to be translated if I'm going to use it to pray. Those last two and most of the psalms in the Psalms of Ascent are just about the human condition and the reality that I need to journey into God's presence in order to... But this psalm is about the trip to Jerusalem itself. It sings about that wall, about those houses. It literally sings about it, and it sings about that place where the smoke rises. Long before you could get to Jerusalem, you would see that ever-burning fire. You would see the smoke going up, and you would know, there, that's where they're offering sacrifices to the Lord my God. There, that's where the Holy of Holies is. And I won't get to go there. I'll never see it my entire life. I'll never see the holy place or the Holy of Holies. I'll know it only by description and only by the Scriptures, but I will know this. The Lord my God is there. And I can go there and be close to God. And so over and over and over again, they journey to this tangible reality. How do I use that? Because chances are good I'll never see that place. I'll certainly never see that one. That's a painting. Nobody alive's ever seen that. If you look at Jerusalem now, it's got tall modern buildings in it. And the temple's gone, replaced by a mosque. Nothing left but the wailing wall. I'll never see that. How do I use this prayer? 
Throughout the Old Testament, you see God using tangible realities to teach intangible truths. And one of the realities of the New Testament is the, the tangibles are sometimes dropped so that we experience directly the intangible presence of God. I can't touch it. I can't sense it. I can't smell it or see it. In this, I could do all those things. I could touch the wall. I could smell the smoke. I could see the great pillars that have names. But now all of that is gone. Well, all of that was to lead me to this intangible reality of the truth that God's presence fills the universe. His name is everywhere. The temple curtain has been torn so that God can draw near to us and we draw near to Him everywhere. How then do I use this? What is this psalm about? I think you're sitting in it. I don't think it's a one-to-one correspondence. The church does not replace Jerusalem. In fact, the songs that we sang this morning, the image of Zion is a common image for heaven. We want to travel to the holy city, to the place where the redeemed ever rejoice in the presence of God. Direct face-to-face contact. They want to, we want to get there. And that's a good and tangible reality, but I mean, tangible truth, or in, well, whatever, whether it's tangible or not. It will be someday for all of us. I think that the, we can use this psalm right now if we think for just a moment about what God was using Jerusalem for. What was that city and why make this thrice yearly pilgrimage? Why were they doing it? Well, it was a system set up by God, established by God Himself. They weren't making the pilgrimages because they decided to. They were making the pilgrimages because they were commanded to. The origin of come to Jerusalem to draw near to my name is in the mind and heart of God. What is the origin of this place? Did you come up with this? Is the church your idea? Of course not. It's established by Jesus Christ. We assemble regularly around table and in order to sing praises to the Lord our God and in order to meditate on the truth of who He is and in order to love one another because Jesus established that it should be so. This is built by Jesus Christ. He said so. On this rock I will build I will build, he said. So this isn't ours, it's his. Just as Jerusalem truly belonged to God, and he signed it as his place to put his name, he chose it. And what was Jerusalem for? Why make the regular pilgrimage? So that the will of God might be established among the people. They drew near to God so that they could hear his will. So that judgment could be made. It's what they prayed about. We're going up to Jerusalem. Why? To which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord. The Lord chose those tribes. He called them to go up. As was decreed for Israel. To give thanks to the Lord our God. 
the purpose of that place was established by the will of God. Come here and worship me. Don't do that just everywhere. The reason that they could see the smoke and know I'm drawing near to the name of God is you're not allowed to make the smoke anywhere but there. You don't burn sacrifices in Samaria or in Tyre or Sidon or Hendersonville. You burnt that stuff in Jerusalem and in Jerusalem alone by His commandment so that you wouldn't drift from His will. And He's calling you up there to say, okay, this is the place where you will celebrate. What did they do when they got there? These three things were all connected to celebration and festival. Rejoicing in who God was. So He set this up so that you would draw near to God in joy. It's all the will of God. If only I could think of something that might translate to that. Something that helps me draw near to God regularly. To think about Him and give thanks to Him and rejoice in Him. If only there was something. Look around! You're sitting in it. It's like those old old dishwashing soap commercials. Where the woman walks up and sticks her hand mysteriously into a, a jar of dishwashing soap on the... Why was that there? And why did she stick her hand in it? I never understood that. But this is what we're experiencing right now. You just stuck your hand in it. We are in the thing that we're praying about in this psalm. And the thrones of judgment were set. Thrones for the house of David. Now what's that about? Now I don't want to be judged. Americans hate judgment. You can't judge me. We are all the commanders of our own ship and the commanders of our own destiny and nobody gets to tell me what to do. What is this about? Look, judgment in this sense is a place where life is established well. It's about justice, fairness and goodness. A place where disputes can be worked out and problems can be worked out by somebody who loves God. That's what a throne of judgment is for. Two people are having a problem. They can come and sit in front of the king and say, help us. We have trouble. And if they are really godly people, they're going to say, we have trouble, but the love between us has become hard. Help us to find our way to the love of God. Help us to get beyond our disputes so that we can be good to each other. That's what this is supposed to be for. Do you know that? That's what church is for. It's not supposed to be a place where you never have a falling out. It's supposed to be a place where you come together to the king and you say to the king, help us work this out. It's too bad we have an absentee king. And Jesus is in heaven and someday he'll come back. People, he is here among us. When he, do you realize that when he says, wherever, when, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, that it's a judgment passage? He's saying, whatever you assess together, I will commit to. So you want to work things out? Work them out faithfully in the presence of the Lord. If the Lord's with us, can you be selfish and a jerk? Well, you can, but you're going to shipwreck yourself against it. This is that reality. We are living in it. You are privileged to make the commute not thrice a year, 
but 50 plus times a year. You get to do this. And if three times a year, if the Lord God said, you know what, this will be good for my people, how much better do you have it? This psalm, it's not about church, but it certainly can be prayed as unto the church. As for the good of the church. Just as the prayer is for the good of Jerusalem. And why pray for Jerusalem? So that God can accomplish His good in me. I need to pray for Jerusalem that it can be safe and secure so I can keep doing this thing. Because if I don't pray for it, the city could be lost. And if the city is lost, I'm a loser even if I don't live there. Even if I live far away, I won't be able to journey here and draw near to God. Likewise, brothers and sisters, we need to pray for the well-being of this church because we have something worth keeping. And we can lose it. Look around you. We can lose it. Jerusalem was once lost. And the people who lost it were saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, meaning nothing bad can happen to this place because the Lord won't let bad things happen to His name. And Jeremiah said, yes, He will. So it can be here. Which is why He leads us to pray always for the good of the systems He establishes. It's in our best interests to cooperate with God in the things that He is doing. So, sorry, I'm going to move beyond that. What is it we are meant to learn to pray in this psalm? Well, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The very first words are combating our fallen nature. That's what that's about. The desire to be with God and with His people in the thing that He is doing to redeem broken people. Three times a year, they had to look at their business ventures and say, yeah, I'm going to have to put that on hold. I'm going to have to get back with you on that one. The wife and I are <laughs> we're heading to Jerusalem again. Again? Maybe I need another contractor. I want this done. I, please, just bear with me. This is for God. No? Three times a year, they had to decide whether that was worth it or not. Three times a year, they had to decide whether sleeping in bed was comfortable or sleeping on the ground was worth it or not. Three times a year, they had to say, and know what? They, they don't want to. Not all of them. A lot of them never did it. It was a mark of a faithful Jew to do it once a year, much less thrice. So not all of them did this. And folks, not everybody wants to go to church. One of the things I love and admire about Tom Ledbetter is I was talking to him one time. And uh, Tom was talking about how, you know, I don't understand why people don't want to be here. I just want to go to church. I love it. When I was in New England, there was a, a friend of mine who told me about an interaction they had with a Catholic person. And one of the theologies that's really common in non-practicing Catholics you know, or semi-practicing Catholics, is that you go to church when you blew it, right? So you go to church if you sin to get the grace to cover your sin. That was a real common thing. He had a friend who was a, a, one of those quasi-Catholics, and, and they were talking about church, and he said, yeah, I go to church three times a week. He's like, why? 
What are you doing? You need to stop whatever it is you're doing. And he's like, I go to church three times a week because I get to. I love being with those people that I love. And I love being with God and His Word. My friend's Catholic friend had to sit down for a while. Because my friend's Catholic friend is a lot more like most fallen people. It's boring. Preacher talks too long, and those people are mean. Why would I want to go there? I drag myself there because God wants me to. The will to be among God's people in some ways is an acquired taste. Especially with the truth that human beings are hard. They really are. Human beings are messy and they'll let you down and they'll fail you. But the discipleship call of God is to love one another even when it's hard. And so even when it's difficult, you're blessed to be here. But you're doing something that is against the will of the flesh by coming. And that's why he starts the whole psalm. I was happy. Probably he wasn't. But he needed to pray that. She didn't want to give up her kitchen and cook on a fire. Probably she needed to pray it. And so we begin with, please God, stir in me this desire. May this happiness reside in me. May I long for church. Because have you ever been there when you're just not feeling it? Some days you get up and you're like, I don't want to do this. What would my life be like if I didn't have to? That's why the psalm teaches us to pray. Because folks, this is for our good. The best way of life is found with God and a regular rhythm of being with Him, though hard to establish, once it's there, it's unimaginable without it. I can't imagine going through a week without taking the supper and singing the songs. We're taught to pray this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security in your towers. Now why are we meant to pray that? Well, because what happens to their regular pilgrimages if if there's a whole bunch of people with swords and spears and siege towers all around the city? You're not going to be able to draw near to the name of God if the sacrifices have been interrupted. What is it that interrupts an ancient city? Well, the great threat to an ancient city are things like famine, social unrest, and most significantly, war. And so the prayer is, Please, hold things together for that city. Because by holding it together for the city, you're holding it together for me. And I am in desperate need. If I don't have this, where will I find you? The wisdom of this prayer is to tell you that, you know what, you need these systems. You don't function well without them. Even if you think, I can be a Christian without the church. No, you can't. You just can't. Because discipleship calls for church. It calls for living with people who are hard. Spending time with people that are weird. And loving them anyway. Forgiving them for what they did to you. Bearing patiently with one another. If you aren't practicing it with the Lord's people, you won't be living it in the world. 
You just won't. You need it. So you pray for the security of God's system. Well, what's the great threat here? We are. We are the great threat. It moved from a tangible threat to an intangible one. And it's our emotional fields towards one another that are the great dangerous. The great threat to the church is the selfishness of the people. I want my way. I demand my way. You can't have your way because I want mine. That's deadly. And the anger that it stirs and the bitterness and the resentment will cause people to sit down and not be Jerusalem for each other. It's deadly. Or missional drift where we forget that we have a purpose for our existence. We, and you're not it. Not just you anyway. It includes you, but it goes beyond you to the ends of the earth and to the end of time. We were called to be people who love God and therefore love everyone and take the love of God everywhere. And we forget it and start thinking that the church's mission is to serve the church. When that happens, the peace of the church goes away. Or the lack of love for one another, the lack of love for the world, the lack of love for God, these are the things that threaten the system and make it useless. They cause it to break down and cause people who really want it to work to go somewhere else. So you pray for the peace of it. You pray that God will build it up and maintain it and protect it. There is self-interest in that prayer. When you pray for Jerusalem, when you pray for the church, you're praying for yourself, especially when you pray selflessly for the church. That's in your best interest. In fact, that's the next point. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will pray, peace be within you. I don't pray this. The prayer in the psalm is not, Oh God, make Jerusalem good so that I can enjoy it. The prayer is, God, we all need You. That other person needs You. May I not get in the way. Let me not be a threat to what Jerusalem wants to do for that other person, but instead, let me build it up. I will add my prayer to the good of this city for their sake, not mine, if you want to find what God wants to do before you can ever pray for these things for yourself, you must pray for the sake of others. It's the only way you participate in the mission. The moment you make it about yourself, you threaten the peace of the city. In order for church to be church, it has to be about people being Jesus to one another and to the world. And so you pray for the sake of others. Not your way, not your wants, not your desire, but for the other people. Especially if you know that there are other people. And the moment you know that there's another faction in the church, we're in threat of losing the church. And the only way out of that is for you to stop fighting whichever side you're on and care about the other people. Otherwise, church stops being church. Jerusalem falls. You have to pray for the others. And then, well, you know what? No, you don't get to pray for yourself. (laughs) For the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your good. Not I will seek my good. I will seek the good of Jerusalem. 
You realize that this prayer never does get around to, I get what I want out of Jerusalem. And the closest it ever gets to that is, I'm really happy I get to go. I'm so excited. When was the last time you felt that way about church? I hope it was this morning. But think about it. When was the last time you looked forward without any regrets or any fears or any sorrows? If you've got those fears, regrets, sorrows, threats, dangers, when you come to this place, chances are good you're not doing that last line. Because what that last line is about is, I'm going to participate in building this place up. Now, people are asking me to do stuff I don't want to do. Yep. Welcome to discipleship. You were called to carry a cross, weren't you? Well, but I want my way. I want Jesus' way, don't you? Jesus' way is filled with forgiveness, love, grace, and, and attention to the other. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you're really selfish and grouchy. No, by that all people will know that you're Christians. But will they know that you're disciples? Disciples forgive. Disciples release their way. Disciples love one another. Disciples enthusiastically encourage one another. Disciples build one another up. Disciples pray for the good of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that is coming for us and someday we'll be here. I will seek your good. To seek the good of yourself, you seek the good of God's place, period. You find good by putting church and other ahead of self. I happen to be blessed with a, with a life where I do that for a living. If I quit doing that, I quit eating. Quit being able to pay for my house. So I have kind of this double self-interest in it. I have to go out and be good to other people, or you're going to start wondering, why is it that we pay him? i got to tell you, there is no better way of life than seeing somebody else blessed by something you did. And when you sit with somebody else and you see their life pull together because they invited you into it and you got to have compassion and kindness and goodness, when you spoke the truth of their worth to them that they didn't believe and suddenly they do, when you seek the good of others, trust me in this. It's what I do. I have to. And I'm so grateful. I'm thankful to you that you let me do it. But let me tell you, I'm inviting you to do it for one another. When we do good for others is when we do the best good for ourselves. And God's church thrives when people do that. So many of us are so busy, and so many of us are hurting so bad, and we're so attentive to our own hurts. And folks, I'm not denying those hurts. They're very real. They're very significant. Your busyness is real. Your wants being thwarted, that's frustrating and hard, and it hurts. But I'm telling you, if you love those things fade. Their significance and importance to you get smaller. You're able to release grudges. What God is calling you to do is what you become. It's how you become more like Jesus Christ. And so we pray for the good of God's city. God's people. Because it's how we find the good us. Let us pray that psalm again together.
I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. Jerusalem, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. Jerusalem, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones for the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. How are you doing with this? Life in church is hard. Anybody who tells you otherwise is selling something, maybe a prayer shawl or something. Life in church, if it's real, it's difficult. Because life in church challenges you, and it calls you to discipleship, and if discipleship was easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's not. How are you doing? It may be that you need forgiveness for something that you have been doing or something you haven't been doing. And if that's true, the people of God want to pronounce forgiveness upon you, and we want to pray for you. And it may be that you are looking at all this and saying, God, I need help to get there. Well, we want to help you. We really do. It may also be that you look into your heart and your life and you're bearing something that has nothing to do with anything I've said, but boy, it hurts. Well, we're a praying congregation. We want to pray for you. And if you're not a Christian, there's no better way of life than this wonderful journey. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?
Thank you, Ethan, once again. Excellent lesson. Well presented, and that's just stuff we can use, is it not? Is it not? I have a few announcements that I would like to make before our closing prayer. Uh, if you'll be patient with me, I'll go through these as quickly as possible. Uh, don't forget our evening service tonight here at the building at 5.30 p.m. There are sign-up sheets out in the foyer uh, for uh, those that can house some of the, um, the course, the college course from Faulkner. Uh, those students will be with us on Friday.